is happening, everybody? It is another Wind Up podcast on this very fine day. I'm your host, Mike of MTGA Wines. Uh, it I'm calling a little bit of an audible this week. Uh, I I kind of have been teasing the Harvest Shenanigans episode uh, for the last couple of weeks because I wanted to get into just I mean all the kind of random nonsense that happens during Harvest. But we have had like. Over the last month, like some breaking news and like mergers and acquisitions, uh, a lot of questions surrounding those. We just had a rainstorm roll in during the harvest season. Uh, there's been just a bombardment of folks kind of asking, you know, what is going on in the wine industry and can we get a little bit more of a thorough update, what to expect, what's happening, what's shaking, all the things. So I'm going to push uh, that Harvest Shenanigans episode to next week. I guess that'll be October 11th, uh, today on the 4th. If you're listening to this on October 4th, I, I literally recorded this not like an hour or two ago. Um, that largely just because of everything that's been going on. We've gotten so many questions regarding kind of just what's shaking. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit more of an in-depth harvest update uh, for the first part of this episode and we're going to end it with a little bit of like the merger and acquisitions of um, I think it was Massacin and then also Rombauer uh, both got bought uh, at the beginning of September it's kind of old news um, but you also had you know Joseph Phelps get purchased by LVMH that's Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy for those that don't know um, you also had who was it Schaefer Vineyards a while back got purchased by a South Korean company if I'm not mistaken so there's been a lot of kind of these big moving and shaking things and we've not really addressed any of them. I'm totally late to the game and talking about it, but I figure we might as well touch on it a little bit uh, just because it seems to have come up in terms of just folks who have been out to the winery as we've been processing our wine club shipment in the last week. Uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about it as well, of like what's going on. So we're going to dive into those two big topics. Um, so it's kind of an ad-libbed a little bit like Q&A session a little bit today with like two main focuses. Uh, before we get too far into it, uh, please and thank you so much for uh, the support, for sharing, for liking and subscribing to the podcast. Be sure to check out the video side of it on YouTube. Uh, be sure to follow us on all of our social networks. Uh, share it with your wine-loving friends. That helps us out on the algorithm, getting the word out and about. Um, also helps provide a little bit more content in terms of folks asking questions and kind of diving into other corners of the wine industry. So uh, we really appreciate you getting the word out about the podcast. And uh, hopefully we can continue sharing really great kind of wine industry insider you know, insights with you all as the weeks continue to go on. So we really, really appreciate it. All right, the harvest update. Let's do this, shall we? Uh, first and foremost, it's it's an interesting time. This point right now, in the first week of October, it still hasn't really started. For some folks, it has, but it's for many of us. We're still working on our white wines, maybe some of our lighter reds like Pinot Noir or Rosé programs. Everything is just inching along. Uh, we've mentioned it on a few previous episodes is that it's been this, we had this very cool wet winter, a very mild summer. Uh, we're in this little bit of a heat wave where it's going to be in the low to mid 90s, maybe some high 90s even this week. Uh, but it's been really kind of mellow. And as a result, things have been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Everybody is looking at two, three weeks late at least uh, with how cool that it's been. But I want to provide a little bit more perspective because you hear, oh, two, three weeks late, like what's going to happen if you start picking grapes in late October or November? 
you know, we just had a rainstorm roll in. Do you have to worry about more rain in the forecast? What are you doing to mitigate that? Those are the big like what ifs and questions that we're getting all over the place. And being that I've lived in Napa for 32 years, grew up with many, many harvests, worked through many, many harvests, I want to provide some real perspective on a season such as this and also what a little rainstorm, which happened, I believe it was on Saturday, so a few days ago, what that really means for the industry. And... And since harvest is just getting going, I mean, there's still a lot of grapes hanging out there. That's why it's kind of concerning for so many people. There's a lot of newer colleagues and even some old friends who are not necessarily on the winemaking side of things who are like, man, what are we going to do? This harvest is so crazy. And I'm here to tell you, this is like the good old days, my friends. You go back to 90s, early 2000s winemaking uh, into the 2010s before we kind of got into the cycle of really dry, hot drought years. This is probably closer to a historical normal than it is to an anomaly. I There are going to be people that probably don't like that because it doesn't build any drama. There's no, this is, this is the crazy thing. There's so much, I hate like the clickbait, like culture kind of thing. And that's what you're seeing with the wines. It's like bled into the industry. Like it rained. Winemakers are out there with leaf blowers, drying off their grapes. Things are crazy. And that actually did happen. Uh, but it's not that crazy. This is stuff that is normal for us. Like maybe you don't get rain at that particular time. Maybe you don't see this little bit of a heat wave in October, but I'm here to tell you that picking grapes in mid-October into early November is not out of the range of crazy. It is something that happens, had happened regularly in my time living in and around this valley. And perspective is everything. If you've been here for 10 years, let's say, you moved here in 2013, you got here right in this, I mean, the second year that we were really getting to our kind of a hot, dry drought seasons. You really didn't see a rainy season until 2016. Then you saw a fire season in 17, you saw another fire season in 2020, and now you have this wet, cold year. So for the first time in 10 years, you're seeing the historical average of Napa. And when we talk historical average, we're not talking like the last 10 years. We're talking the last 30, 40, 50, so on, so forth. This is where you you can't just look in the rearview mirror and say, oh, that car is closer than it might be. You got to be looking like 20 cars behind you to see that motorcycle splitting lanes, hauling ass as he's trying to get in front of you. You know what I mean? So it's one of those moments, and this is something that, I mean, we've just been going out, like having beers, watching football, talking shop, you know, kind of just as you do uh, after a long day in the cellar. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. That, yeah, it's cooler than average. No, we don't really want to be picking grapes in November, but guess what? We're probably going to be. Uh, I actually went out, and on October 3rd, I sampled our Cabernet vineyards. They are very much like two weeks away from being picked, probably at the earliest. That week of October 15th is likely when we're going to pull the trigger on some stuff, which is interesting because our Merlot might even come in after that. It might be coming in the last week of October. There's some kind of crazy stuff going on. But again, if you have perspective, it's not that crazy. You're just used to kind of what has been quote unquote normal for the last few years. I'll put it this way. When I started making wine, 
the first two years that I brought in Merlot, it came in the last week of October or the first week of November. The first two years I made wine, in 2010 and in 2011, that was the situation. I have not seen that since then, which for me is abnormal. I'm looking at our drought years and kind of these hot, dry years as the anomalies. Because I'm like, man, I'm used to having fruit come in early. I'm used, or I'm sorry, come in late. I'm not used to picking grapes in the second week of September or the first week of September. I'm used to doing this a month from now, a month and a half from now, because of how kind of cool and temperate these first few vintages were. And I remember that growing up out here as well. There were plenty of Thanksgivings that we had where there were cellar operations happening. You would go out, get all your work done, come back, have Thanksgiving dinner, and then go back out and continue working. Like that's... I mean, not super uncommon, but not super rare either, you know? And I apologize. With this episode being recorded last minute, I need another cup of coffee. So if you hear a little bit of dead air, that's me just mainlining caffeine right now. <laughs> you know, it is, it, it is, even though harvest is off to a slow start, it's still like, it's still busy enough where you're like, oh, I'm just tired all the time. But anyway, so... You know, this this perspective of these cool years. One, number one, for I think a lot of winemakers, and this is kind of the buzz within just the winemaking community, is that this vintage has so much incredible potential behind it. These long drawn out seasons, while it creates a lot of work and a lot longer season and longer hours for us, it provides the opportunity for us to make incredible wine. I'm like knocking on wood every chance I get because this vintage is set up for just some outrageous success. This kind of farming where it's this long season, flavors are developing. I mean, the flavors, interestingly enough, in a lot of the grapes for our own vineyards are tasting phenomenal. They're really, really great. The one thing we're waiting on are the phenolic characteristics, the tannins to soften, and just things to kind of work out some of the kinks. It's almost like you got like a, you're a little stiff after a workout and you just got to get moving again. That's what's going out in the vineyards right now. Like they're just a little tight, they're a little structured, and we got to let that kind of mellow itself out. And as long as we're seeing this weather in kind of the high 70s into the 80s, even this little bit of 90 degree weather we're seeing, we can get there. It's not going to be a problem. It just means that the season's going to be a little longer than we expected. Now, is it weird that I have our white wine and Brittany's rosé and Grenache dry put to bed and I don't have any harvest work to do right now other than walking through vineyards and seeing where the fruit is at? Yeah, that's a little weird. I don't remember having a week off of bringing in grapes, much less potentially two weeks off, ever. That is a little strange. Uh, that's something that is typically, you know, our Merlot is coming in probably in the next week or so, uh, because we're working with a new vineyard site that's kind of been pushed back a little bit. So there are some things out there that are just like, all right, well, this is kind of an interesting year. Um, I just need to make sure I stay in harvest shape because right now I'm like geared up. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. And with this two week lull, I don't want to have to like get back into shape, you know? So I guess it is a little weird in that sense in that we're not used to having like this break in the action. Like once it starts, we're rolling. And the fact that we have so much stuff that's just kind of like our little lots, our, our smaller productions coming in, and we're just having to wait and hang out for the reds to really get to where we want to go, 
typically that's not the case. Typically we roll right in from like our whites to our reds to our big guns and we just keep it moving, just keep it moving. And to have this little break in the action is a little strange, but mother nature is going to do what she's going to do. The vineyards are going to react as they see fit. The good news is we're seeing amazing progress, amazing flavors, great complexity out in the vineyards as it stands right now. There is not a damn thing that's worth worrying about. So if you see a bunch of clickbait, random information about, oh, the Napa harvest is late and things, you know, it's going to be a tough vintage. It's not. Spoiler alert. This is going to be a vintage of the decade. Shh. You heard it here first. That's going to be the case. It is looking to be one of the better vintages that we've had in the last probably couple of decades, to be completely honest. Now, let's talk about those curveballs. There was a, um, I, I love the fact that I had this epiphany last harvest. I did a, a post uh, on our, one of our social networks, I don't even remember, but I called it uh, fouling off pitches because during the harvest season, at a certain point, Mother Nature is going to start throwing her breaking ball at you. It can be a really mean curve, a slider, you really don't know, you, but you're 0-2 in the count, you're, the game's on the line, and you just can't strike out, right? Like You just can't strike out. You need to stay alive to see the next pitch, to get the shot you want, to you know set yourself up for success. You want It doesn't matter if it's a single, double, whatever. You just need to get on base. At a certain point, that's what Mother Nature starts doing you. She's the closer, and you're trying to stay alive. That I'm dead serious. This is the best analogy that I've ever come up with for harvest. And when you see rain come in, like it did a few days ago, that's the first like salvo of like, hey, here it comes. She's bringing the heat. You better be ready for it. And you need to be ready to take that swing and at least make contact. Or you better be damn sure it's outside the zone. You know what I mean? That's how you have to approach any harvest season. It's just the way it is. You have no control over it. You don't know what's coming your way. You can kind of expect it in the long-term forecast, right? It's like doing the scouting report on that pitcher. You got to understand what they're good at doing if you're a right-handed batter, left-handed batter. Do they have a great bacon ball? Are they a submarine pitcher? Do they got, you know, a fastball that'll blow your socks off? Like, you got to know that stuff. So that's the long-term weather forecast for us. We're looking at the scouting report and we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we want to attack the next couple of weeks? You know, what pitches do we need to be ready for? What do we need to try and avoid? So when the rain came in and we see it in the forecast and it's less than like a tenth of an inch on average for probably most, there were probably areas that got a little more. It did dump. It was like a 15 minute just deluge. It was coming down. Um, you can probably go to our Instagram page and see uh, some of that action. Actually, it's not too far down if you scroll through our little profile there. Um, it was kind of nuts, but... As we like to say in the industry, is enough to knock the dust off the grapes. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, it's a little too late to mitigate any mold or mildew issues. Mildew issues, you're gonna have to try and just let that ride at this point and deal with it as best you can. And luckily enough, we have plenty of tricks of the trade, you guys. This ain't our first rodeo. We've seen rain during harvest before. We know what's up. There are multiple things that you can do. And here's a few of them. 
Number one, I mentioned the leaf blowers. I can't, I think it, it might've been Steve Mathiason. I can't remember if it was, um, I, shoot, I can't remember his name out at CV. Um, their winemaker, they literally put on a leaf blower and started walking through the vineyards, leaf blowing their vines. Because there were certain varieties that are more susceptible to certain molds and mildews and you wanna try and prevent that. A little bit of wind and knocking the water off will do just that. So a leaf blower, when in doubt, will help quite a bit. There were quite a few people that turned on their uh, fans, their frost protection. If you have one of those big fans, they're typically used to recirculate the inversion layer and keep the air moving so that it doesn't freeze during the early spring when we could potentially have frost. But if it's a pretty stagnant day the next day and it's getting humid and there's a lot of water on those clusters, you can get that air moving with those fans. So you turn your frost protection on, help dry out them grapes. It's not our first time. We know what we're doing. That little bit of rain, that little guy, don't worry about that little guy. The rain is just, it's, a, it's October. You know, it could happen. Typically, it doesn't happen in a great volume, but it can certainly happen. Going back to those first couple of harvests that I experienced that I talked about just a few moments ago, in 2010, it rained both nights that I was picking grapes. I'm out there with a headlamp, and pruning shears and a picking bin just cutting my way through this vineyard in the rain. It was the least amount of fun I've probably had in this industry. Actually, probably not, but it was pretty bad. It was so uncold and uncomfortable and just, ugh, it was the worst. And of course, 2011 was like the last cold, rainy year that we had really, really had. So again, not unprecedented, a couple of minutes, a few minutes of rain, and the ability to be a little bit creative and dry off your grapes, it's not that big of a deal. It's going to be just fine. Everything's going to be just fine. It was pretty interesting. We have a good friend. Uh, I don't know if she'd want me to like shout her out or anything, so I'm not. I will probably at some point, but she uh, is a great writer, works for the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. I saw her post on Instagram. It's like, hey, if any winemakers or vineyard managers want to chat uh, about the rain, please get a hold of me. And it was it's great to see her like t diving in to try and see like boots on the ground. And she's awesome that way. Uh, boots on the ground of like, hey, what is actually going on? Um, so I got to talk to her about like, because we're going to start having guests on the show, Total Tangent. I'm going to start having guests into the new year. I wanted to get like one year under my belt of like topics and all that kind of stuff so we can revisit them and all that good stuff and have plenty of content. And then we're going to start having folks like her, other winemakers, hospitality folks on as well. So little teaser for what's coming in uh, 2024. Anyway, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of people asking like, what do you, I mean, we need to comment. What are you doing? It's raining. It shouldn't be raining right now. Um, yeah. We'd prefer it not to rain, but guess what? Mother Nature is going to do that, and you just have to be ready for that pitch so that you know when to take that swing and just make contact. Just foul it off, because guess what? If you got through that rain and you didn't panic, if you saw that rain in the forecast and you picked before it because you're like, oh, we can't worry about the rain, guess what? This, next, this week, this weekend and the week after are beautiful. It's like prime time, grape growing, ripening weather. So if you panic because of this one afternoon of rain, I mean, it's like, do you want to make mediocre wine before or do you want to, you know, potentially make great wine after? It's like, where's the upside, right? I mean, that's kind of what happened in 2022 with that giant heat spike that rolled through, you know, five days at 115 out here. That's something that's super unusual. And some folks had to pick before. They're running out of water. Their vines are starting to shut down anyway. It's time to get that fruit in. A lot of people saw it and panicked 
and said, hey, we're bringing it in no matter what. And I know a few of those people. And they're having a hell of a time getting their wines where they want to go because they picked so much earlier than what they normally would have. And for some of us, we decided, hey, we'll wait through the heat. Yes, we're going to risk raisining. Yes, we're going to risk the vine shutting down. But you know what? We got, I mean, if we pick before the heat, we're making mediocre wine anyway. So are we going to make, you know, mediocre wine for sure? Or are we going to try to make great wine on the other side? You know, it's a very subjective judgment call, but you got to try and make some of those tough calls every once in a while. And this little batch of rain, man, if people panicked because this little batch of rain, ah, oh, they're going to have a rough go in this industry moving forward because it's, it just is what it is. This kind of stuff is, this is, that's like A ball. That's not even triple A ball, much less the majors. That little bit of rain, psh, that's, that's rookie stuff, rookie stuff. So it's this harvest, man, it's regardless of the craziness that can happen. And we'll talk a lot about that during the, the kind of harvest shenanigans episode next week. It, it just kind of, you have to be able to roll with the punches. Uh, I hosted a group, uh, probably, I think it was, it might've been Monday, Tuesday morning, uh, this last week. And they were like, we, we flew in, we flew in on, they came in on Saturday. They saw the rainstorm and they were like, we've been to every winery we've been to is talking about the rain and they're freaking out and they're not sure what they're going to do. And they asked me and like, what are you doing? Like, it was a very like intense, you could just feel the intensity of them, like conveying everyone who had been telling them like, this is really rough. And kind of painting this, you know, oh no, the world's ending kind of picture. And I sat there and was like, I, I mean, it rains. I don't know. It's not that what people are freaking. Why are people freaking out? There's nothing to be freaking out about. What are you, what are you talking about? So it's funny how it kind of gets conveyed to some people and if you see any of that i mean i don't know how much this kind of event makes like national news if it did i feel sorry for y'all because my goodness it is just mountains out of molehills but this is the kind of stuff that we as farmers deal with all the time this is not unusual we if if you once you hear us panicking then you can panic you know just relax. It's going to be just fine. And, you know, beware of clickbait. I guess that's all I'm going to say to put like a nice little bow on top of the, oh, this harvest is going to be crazy conversation. Every harvest is crazy. You know, define the crazy. There's so much craziness that happens uh, between, you know, the equipment you're using, between the vineyards, between mother nature, between everything. Like there's always going to be something. And the more you've been in this industry, when you've been in it and around it for 30 years, making wine for 14 plus years, guess what? You've pretty much seen it all. Are there going to be things that are anomalies or unusual? For sure. But based on past experience and what your historical knowledge is of the area, it might not be nearly as dramatic as you think it is. So don't believe the hype. If you've seen or heard any negative hype, it's simply not true. This vintage is still looking like to be one of the best of the last decade, if not a couple of decades. You can say you heard it here first. Go for it. Tell everybody. I'll totally fall on that sword if need be. All right. Let's get into some of the business stuff. So this has been, this has kind of been the big looming question since, and it happened, it really started when Schaefer was acquired by uh, a South Korean company. And then when Louis Vuitton and Moet Hennessy purchased uh, LVMH, yeah, Moet Hennessy. Yeah, I had to like think of the acronym for a second. Yeah, LVMH purchased uh, Joseph Phelps. 
then you saw Gallo family. Uh, Gallo family uh, still, I believe, the largest producer of wine in the world based here in central California. Uh, purchased Rombauer Vineyards. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Rombauer. They also purchased Massican, uh, another smaller white wine brand uh, in the California area. I can't, I've never, I know I've had their wines. I have no idea where they're based. Let me look that up real quick. This is the joy of doing this shit live. I can just be like, oh, hey, I have a browser right here. Massican wine. And we can see what's going on. Unique California white wines. I mean, it's actually a pretty cool website. Nicely done. They've got, oh, they got some Rebologiana Tokai. Oh, they got some really cool stuff, actually. I know I've had some of their stuff before. And it is like kind of oddball white wines with a little bit of Saw Blanc and Chardonnay and other things. It's very interesting. Anyway, uh, and good stuff by, from all means. Like I, I've, from the wines I've had of theirs previously, all really, really solid. Um, but, you know, when you see these acquisitions come through, there is a little bit of like, I don't know. Your, your nostalgia kicks in. You're like, oh, I remember when they were just like the little guy. And let's be honest, Ron Bauer and that purchase, they're not exactly the little guy. But I mean, how many people got into wine because of, you know, Ron Bauer Chardonnay? I mean, that's, it's hard to argue that they haven't had some sort of positive impact on the wine industry. You know, whether you like oaky, buttery Chardonnay or not, you know, what KR, Ron Bauer, and the family has done out there historically is some pretty cool stuff. And the fact that they have the following that they do is outrageous. They've done an amazing job for themselves. Um, if I remember right, I think KR still has his own, like, small wine project that he's working on outside of Ron Bauer, too. So something to keep an eye on to see if he, like, pops up uh, somewhere else. I know he's uh, getting a little older, so I don't know how, long, how much longer he's going to be doing the thing. But, I mean, worth checking out. But anytime these mergers and acquisitions happen... This is how you operate. And this is kind of the big question we get. And this was in the case of Maskin. When people saw, you know, Maskin got purchased and the same thing happened with Joseph Phelps. Um, I didn't really run into anybody who was hugely affected by Schaefer, although I know there are probably some of you out there that are big Schaefer fans. I've been a big Schaefer fan for that matter. Uh, but this is typically what happens. And this actually, when Farniente had an investment group come in, uh, or Duckhorn for that matter too, like this is the question you get. It's like, oh, what's going to change? What's going to happen? What can we expect as consumers? Where are these brands going to go? Now, for a lot of these brands, you will see changes. Whether they're good or bad is going to be up to you as the consumer and purchasing those wines. Now, if it's a well-established brand, you talk about like a Joseph Phelps, you talk about a Rombauer, right? You can probably imagine that not a whole lot is going to rock the boat. They've got, unless it, unless for some reason, and we, this isn't public information now, you know, but let's say, this is hypothetical, that these businesses were falling on hard times. That would be pretty hard to believe in these two situations. But if it is, maybe these new big companies are coming in, you know, with an influx of cash and keeping the brand alive and like cruising through with it, um, you know, just trying to carry it forward and continue holding on to that market share. That could totally be the case. But if these brands, and this is, I believe, the more likely scenario, these brands are killing it, they're controlling a significant part of the market share, and these big companies are just scooping them up so that they can, again, control that part of the market. Kind of that simple, uh, in my opinion. And if those wines are really doing that job for them, you're not going to see a lot of changes. Um, you'll pro with any corporate takeover, right? Like the first six months, like everyone's kind of feeling each other out. You're trying to see what direction things are going to go. You're going to try and see how operations change. 
And from there, you start seeing those changes get implemented. And whether you agree with them or not is simply just up to you. When it comes to the overall wine quality, I'm hard pressed to believe that you're gonna see a dip in quality. These are pretty well-established brands that are known for certain things. They're probably, even though these are ginormous companies that we're talking about, right? LVMH is not exactly a small company. If you don't know what Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy owns, Google it. It is a long, litany of things. You will be so surprised. It's like looking at Constellation brands or InBev for beer. Like you look at the list of things that they own. You're like, holy shit, I had no idea. It's one of those kind of big, massive things. Gallo is very much the same across their brands between what they own, brick and mortar, but also their white label brands of what's available at like a grocery store level. Um, it's If you're just interested in like who owns what, like seeing those laundry lists of names, you're like, oh my God, I had no idea that this is that and that's that and so on and so forth. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, also helps inform you of like what business you're actually, you know, supporting. Uh, we still have folks that coming out and they're like, oh, we love The Prisoner. What Dave Finney does is amazing. You're like, Dave Finney hasn't owned The Prisoner in like a decade, man. It's changed hands like three times since then. Uh, so you need to update your, uh, you know, spreadsheet of who owns what or whatever the case is. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of stuff's hard to track down. A lot of these mergers and acquisitions, as I'm sure some of you know, uh, you're probably much more well-versed in this realm or in business than I am. But some of these things get like announced-ish, but they don't really hit like any mainstream announcement because you don't really want to rock the boat, right? You don't want, especially in like the case of maybe like a Mascan, I don't know how big or small uh, that brand is necessarily, but if you see like a small brand, actually a great example would be Schrader. Uh, Schrader Vineyard's getting acquired by Constellation which was a great buy for Constellation. I mean, if I'm completely honest, a great move by their, on their part. But if you see that brand get like eaten up, you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. I wonder how this giant behemoth of a business is going to run this tiny little brand. Like it's going to, is it going to infuse this just crazy corporate culture into it? Is it going to change drastically? You always like to hope that it doesn't because if you really love those wines, you want them to be consistent and kind of continue doing what they do. But the answer is you just don't know. So here's the pro tip. When you see these merges and acquisitions happen or you hear about them, whether it's here on this podcast or just through the airwaves somehow, some way, the next time you're out and at a tasting in Napa and someone kind of mentions it casually, this is the way to approach it. Number one, it's a natural flow of business, right? Like this kind of stuff happens all the time. When it's these smaller, you know, family businesses, it kind of hits a little harder, right? Your nostalgia is like, oh, I remember when they were just the little guy, right? Oh, it's so it's such a shame that the big guy is, you know, snatching them up. Oh, you know, there we all kind of feel that to a certain extent. You know, it's it's one of those things that's just like, oh. You know, it's it's like that little bit of like punk rock, like fight the man kind of attitude, right? We're like, oh, we want to support little guys, not the big the the big guys in the room, you know? I which I appreciate. I'm one of those little guys, so that's definitely where I lean, right? But if these wineries, and they likely do, they have wine that's in barrel right now. They likely have wine in barrel from the last couple of years. That wine is already on a path going somewhere. So the next you know year two years of wine releases, maybe even three years of wine releases are probably going to stay relatively consistent. You're likely not going to see any earth shattering changes very, very quickly, unless you see a brand just like disappear, right? 
you know, if you, I mean, some of you might remember a Franciscan uh, winery that was on Highway 29, which is now the uh, Prisoner Wine Company. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is, you know, Franciscan was one of those brands that was acquired. And then they're like, oh, the Prisoner's more popular. We're just going to slide this brand into this slot and be like, all right, this is the Prisoner Winery now. Yay. I don't even know if Franciscan's even in existence anymore. Um, I haven't seen it in a grocery store. It, it definitely became more of a grocery store brand, I think. Um, I think it kind of always was. Um, but that was one of those that got acquired and just kind of faded away uh, into the ether. But, you know, was supplanted by something else that was just kind of up and coming. And, you know, what was the prisoner at the time and still kind of, you know, is. Uh, you can have your own opinion about that if you want to. Mm. So you do see that happen. But when you have strong, what you would assume are strong brands and like Ron Bauer and Joseph Phelps, Schaefer, um, even hopefully Maskin was doing really well for itself as well. You know, you hope that it continues kind of on that trajectory. You know, in my years of working for uh, JCB, uh, Boisset Family Estates, I worked with them uh, for about six and a half years. Um, after they acquired Raymond Vineyards, we eventually acquired Buena Vista uh, over in Sonoma and Lockwood Vineyards, a big vineyard parcel down in Monterey. Uh, started, you know, really got the JCB brand up and running, you know, and I always use, you know, Buena Vista, like that acquisition as kind of the benchmark where it was kind of this brand that had, you know, arguably fallen on some hard times, needed some help. Also, that stone winery that's on that property is, number one, gorgeous. Number two, was about to fall over. Uh, so, you know, going in there, retrofitting it, and trying to kind of reestablish and hold on to, like, the history of that property was a great thing. And I think JC did a really amazing, and that's Jean-Charles for short. I say JC because I, you know, whatever reasons. I know the guy way too well. Anyway, <laughs> he, you know, he really put, I think, a really great forward in, you know, really retaining what's great about that brand and that site and the history of it while, you know, kind of moving forward with it as a brand and growing it into the future. Because uh, I'll put, I'll be completely honest, as a little bit of a sidebar, if he didn't retrofit and, you know, yeah, retrofit that stone winery building, that earthquake in 2014 that we had might have knocked it down. Dead serious. The stone winery built in the you know 1800s would have just been gone if it weren't for the likes of him. So there is something to be said about some of these big businesses that can come in and really hold on to some of the great things that you know the history of a brand has to offer, right? That there is potential there. But you know we've also seen the exact opposite. You've seen the Hublin companies buy Inglenook. And turn it into a jug wine grocery store brand and just blow it up entirely. You know, Inglenook, before it was sold to Hublin, was one of, was an iconic Napa brand. Really high-end, great stuff. And it turned into a jug wine. You know, that's just is what it is. And now that it's been, that name has been reunited with, you know, what Coppola has done to put it back together. They've really tried to dial in quality versus quantity now. They've made a lot of changes to kind of get back to the original original roots of like what Inglenook was back in the day. You see big names and big businesses try and do that. But you also have those Hublins of the world that are like, all right, we're just cashing in. We're going to see how much money we can make on this. So we'll see right? The wine is really not going to change for the next few years. They may ramp up production. They may just disappear if they don't work out. But you hope for big names like this 
that they're just kind of continuing on into the future. So if you're a big Ron Bauer fan, if you're a big Phelps fan, if you're a big Schrader fan, if you're a big Mondavi fan, more power to you. Hopefully you still like the wines after all the corporate takeovers and mergers and acquisitions. Hopefully with some of the more recent ones, you continue to enjoy those wines uh, out and about. You know, realistically, it's just up to trying the wine to deciding whether or not you like it. If you let your inner punk rock kid like me, I'm wearing my like venicidal tendency shirt. I figured it was appropriate for this conversation. And it, it does, I did say it's not suicidal tendencies. It's not that bad. It is venicidal tendencies for those that are watching the video. Uh, this is, oh shoot, uh, Mouton Noir Farms or wines up in Oregon. Uh, shoot, uh, is it Andre Mack? I think the Master Psalm, uh, his brand. And number one, I was like, this is just cool because I love this, the band that this is inspired by. Also, we kill wine in this house, you know? absolutely do so you know it's a cool t-shirt uh so at that punk rock kid man i'm full of tangents today this is why i needed to like insert this episode because there's just so much in my brain i'm like i needed to get it out so if you have that inner punk rock kid like i do and you want to like fight the man i mean support small you know figure out who that brand is do they have a parent company who is that parent company if there is one if there isn't one then you know there you go if it turns out that you've been buying a constellation or a gallo brand and you're like hmm i'd rather support a small guy go for it if that doesn't impact your decision making at all because you just like the wine for what it is again more power to you it's all good in the hood just drink what you like you know, we little small producers, as many of you know, we love to talk shit about the big guys. We really do. Uh, the big guys love to kind of, you know, like, oh, it's cute that you have your little, you know, wine project. It's nice. You know, there's this fun little like sibling rivalry within the industry, I think. And it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, the moral of the story is just drink what you like, because if you like it, it's a good wine. It is really quite simple. All right, that'll do it for today. I appreciate you all bearing with me and uh, going through the audible that I had with all of like the news and the happenings that's been going on uh, over the last month. It's been nuts. This harvest is looking amazing. Just wine industry news has been crazy uh, as far as crazy gets for the wine industry. It's, you know, not like, a, you know, politics or anything like that. It's just, it's just wine, you know, not that big of a deal. But uh, I appreciate you all tuning in, as always. Uh, please remember to like, share, subscribe, head to our social networks, uh, just at MTGA Wines. We got YouTube, we got Instagram, we got the uh, social network formerly known as Twitter. Uh, check us out. We're posting all kinds of harvest updates, uh, video content, all kinds of good stuff. I'm really trying to stay on top of it this year. It's been a goal of mine for years, and I'm finally like sticking to it. Uh, and this podcast is a big part of that. So this is kind of forcing me out of my comfort zone and doing things that uh, I just, I think, are number one, fun, but also unique as far as the wine industry goes. So we appreciate you. Um, I'm recording this so last minute. I don't have a wine of the week. There will be one next week. It's been a lot of whiskey and beer lately, honestly, because I've just been coming home from the cellar, you know, and that's just what you need after a long day at the winery is a cold one, a shot and a beer, man. That's just, oh, it's, and it's been Oktoberfest up until recently. So you got to have at least a few beers, right? To close out the month. Absolutely. Take care. We'll see you next week. Appreciate you all. Have a good one.